Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network, a station dedicated to the concept that all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. Join Reverend Terry Power HP, Robin McKean, and all the hosts for programming covering a wide range of spiritual topics right here on Blog Talk Radio. Because just before you asked me, I uh, 
I read a uh, post by a woman um, on the Treatment Advocacy Center, which I've referenced on the show. It's a great yes. resource. And um, Jerry Clark, I had seen something on um, a, a post by her, and she had formed a group out in Washington State called MOMI, M-O-M-I, which is Mothers of the Mentally Ill. And I want to dedicate tonight to her son, Calvin Clark, who lost his battle with mental illness and um, tragically and uh, very... it just hit me very hard last night. Um, Jerry, I, I when after I saw her post from the Treatment Advocacy Center, I um, contacted. I was going crazy. I was looking for a number to find her and talk to her about her work mm-hmm. out in Washington State. And um, I called some number. I don't know. I think it might have been NAMI or somebody from there. And they passed my telephone number on to her to Jerry, and Jerry called me. And we talked for a while about our advocacy and what we're doing, our personal experience with our own children who suffer from mental illness. And um, she's done amazing work out out in Washington. She had met with uh, Governor Inslee. Mm-hmm. Uh, twice, and they were, you know, discussing his proposed budget for mental health care and what improvements his team was making. Jerry is truly a warrior. I really look up to her. In fact, she was on my list of people to call again, you know, with email back and forth a little bit, and, um, you know, to find out how she was, what worked she was doing um, with the with the legislation, you know, with senators, assemblymen, and, and I had seen a, a post of hers where she was um, talking. She was testifying for the um, it was the subcommittee on mental health. So she's way uh-huh. beyond where I am right now. I, I am in my early stages of putting together. Um, a few assembly people and working with Mikey Sherrill. I recently spoke with uh, New Jersey legislative uh, LD 2039, Lisa Swain, and um, got her attention. She's on my list to email. Um, I Suicide, you know, when we talk about it, I have a lot of personal experience with it, and um, a lot. And I wanted to get honest about it. You know, I I was five years old. My mother suffered from bipolar. Oh. I got home from school, mm-hmm. and my mother was calling me, and uh, she had a mouthful of pills, and she was like, help me, help me, and I froze. I was five. Five years old. And all my sister will be home and she will help mom. My sister was seven. Then um, 
years later, in 1998, my dad took his life. In 2007, my son took his life. In 2009, my daughter tried to take her life uh, back up. I also experienced a suicide attempt. And my brother as well. So I have a lot of experience with it. And I can tell you, you know, the one thing I have learned is People don't understand it. They think it, you know, I've been, I've had people say, oh, it's the most selfish thing you can ever do. Well, no, it isn't. It is where a person is really suffering. And and when you're in that mindset of wanting to end your life, it's because you have lost all hope. You have lost hope. And it's interesting. I was reading by a, Dr. Kelly Brogan out of New York, she worked, she went to, you know, medical school, she was a psychiatrist, and she threw away her prescription pad, and she has never had to call 911 on any of her patients who are suicidal, because she looks at it as a time of transformation. And she lifts them up. You know, she gives them therapy. She gives them uh-huh. that hope. And, you know, I remember after my attempt, I remember a doctor saying to me, you're really, you know, you're, you're so selfish. And I never went back because I really, I realized I was given a second chance because right. suicide can be very impulsive. And, you know, I think bringing awareness to people and recognizing whether somebody is withdrawing, they may um, have a plan, you know, they may express that plan. We have to be aware of the people that we love, the people that are around us, our friends, family, and you know how to help them. That could right. be calling 911. Another really good thing to do is call suicide prevention line because what they do is they're kind of an intermediary place to call and they will talk to the person who is suicidal and try to get them the help they need. If they don't, then they will, they can call, they have the ability to call 911 and get them, you know, to the hospital. I have, I have intersected a few people who were suicidal. It just happened, happened to be in the right place at the right time and was able to, you know, I had one guy, I was able to convince him to go get help. But, you know, I was watching a video that I had watched um, a few years ago. I I pulled it up again today. It was by uh, Dr. Kay Redfield Jameson, and she wrote the book, An Unquiet Mind. She's an expert out of Johns Hopkins University. And, you know, she was talking about the stigma, you know, how we call mental illness. There's a stigma. 
And she said, we need to change that word, that it shouldn't be stigma. It should be discrimination. You know, mm-hmm. you, you go around Morris County and you see these signs, stigma-free community. And, and I look at it and I said, no, we're not. We're not. You know, the, the, I looked at the definition of stigma and it says, a mark of disgrace associated yep. with a particular circumstance, quality, or person. On the other hand, discrimination means the unjust or prejudicial treatment of different categories of people or things. And she, Dr. Jamison explains why it is essential to understand why stigma exists. Right. And I don't think that we do. And, you know, there's, we have such a long way to go. It's frustrating for me because I know there are studies and research and solutions to help people. We're not there yet. We have to get there. We have to educate people and even the medical and mental health community. It, you know, to to help those with severe mental illness. I, you know, you know, I have two children, two other children. I lost one son. I have two others that suffer from mental illness, and and it's heartbreaking, heartbreaking. Yes. It, because I feel like you come up with roadblock after roadblock after roadblock that the medical community just hammers up, you know, hands out these drugs and that they're end-all cure-all for helping mentally ill people. They do help some people, but they don't right. help all people. I mean, I think therapy is probably the most vital um thing that we need to help people with mental illness. You know, I have to go back. I, you know, this is one thing that I had today. I talk a lot. <laughs> and That's, I right. bus That's bus. why you're an excellent uh, a guest on a talk show. <laughs> talk shows are, are meant to, for talking. So you're, you're awesome. So that's a, that's a good thing. Right. But I was at this um, bus stop today. And this woman came out from Chipotle. I was up at the Rockaway Mall. Mm-hmm. And we were talking, and I don't, I never remember how we get into these conversations. But she uh-huh. told me that she, she was taking care of her grandson, Zayden. Her daughter is out there. She is a drug addict. She's out there in Dover using. Her five year old has expressed wanting to kill himself. Her five year old. Five years old. Wow. That's heartbreak. Yes. Yes. And I said, looked at her and I said, don't don't let him put him on any medication or anything. Get him in therapy. And she said, you know, I will. And then I, I um, told her to call CARES in Rockaway because they're a really good resource for helping, you know, families who have those struggling with um, drug addiction. And, um, but I was, 
it's heartbreaking because there's so much going on in the society right now where, you know, we're anxious. There's a lot going on politically, and there's a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of stress, and we need to really advocate for those who are struggling and get them the help that they need. And, uh, you know, I see more the need for more therapists. Uh-huh. In, definitely. You know, I, I was at a meeting, and there were three girls there. And at the very end, I went up to them, and I said, oh, well, where do you go to school? And they told me Fairleigh Dickinson, and so I knew they were going for social work or whatever they were going mm-hmm. for, social work. And I said, so do you know what anesthesia is? Are you taught what that is? And they said, no. They quickly all pull out their phones and start taking notes. I said, well, anesthesia, I said, it, it, you know, it's in the DSM, Dr. Uh, Amador, you know, um, is one of the founding doctors who got it in there and diagnosed it, which is where mentally ill people have lack of insight into their mental illness and they have a shrinkage of gray matter. And I said, this is so important. I said, well, are you being taught, you know, patients suffer from withdrawal from antipsychotics and antidepressants? They said, yes. I said, that's wonderful. I was like, great. I said, here's another book for you to read on that, though, um, you know, from Dr. B- Peter Bregan, you know, Antipsychotic Withdrawal. Uh-huh. Um, but I, I thought about it, and I said, well, here they're going to get out of school, and perhaps they might work, you know, at a hospital or something. If the hospital isn't recognizing withdrawal from antipsychotics, they have this information, how will it be implemented? You know, we have such a long way to go, and Dr. Red, K. Redfield Jameson said that that's vital, is that we get the research, you know, neuroscience, the, all, all these studies have to get out there to these doctors to educate them so that we are helping mentally ill people get better and be able to function in society, to live their life to the fullest. Mm -hmm. I hate that my daughter's in the hospital. I hate that she's being forced to have drugs that she doesn't want, that she doesn't need. And on the other hand, my son is out of the hospital already. I can feel he's falling off again. You know, because he has anaphagnosia and the uh, involuntary outpatient commitment program is only five years old in New Jersey and the implementation of it, I don't know how strong it is yet. You know, and, you know, if he misses his dosage of medication, if he misses getting his injection, that's the preferred form of medication for those suffering from um, anaphagnosia or bipolar schizophrenia or schizoaffective disorder, they need to pick them up day one. You know, what I find is the hospitals that have these hearings to put them on this 
program, you know, the involuntary outpatient commitment program, but they're not following through with the court-ordered treatment plan, you know, making sure that he's going for the therapy, making, you know, making sure he's getting that injection. It's, it's vital, you know, and that's what Jerry was really fighting for is, you know, when we have the onset of a psychotic break, that's when you have to implement these programs, the solutions, so that it's, you know, it's helping them from day one. Oh, okay, so I have this and this will help. And that's probably what happened with her son is he was in and out, in and out, in and out of the hospital, and they get worse. You know, it's it's heartbreaking, Hercules. It's heartbreaking. Yes, it, it really is. is. I worked in the mental health uh, field for many years in uh, New York City primarily. And uh, uh, I worked at uh, some psychiatric hospitals and uh, I worked in uh, uh, inpatient and outpatient uh, programs. And uh, uh, it is a shame many of the things that happen. Uh, I remember at one point I was designing um, vocational rehabilitation programs for people who had histories of mental illness and substance abuse. And uh, uh, the program was very effective, but uh, they would sometimes change the person's medications. And a lot of people don't realize how significantly that can affect you. So you had somebody who, uh, you know, had worked their way through the programs. They were better able to handle stress and, uh, uh, and they were ready for work. And then somebody would change their medication and they'd wind up back in the hospital. And there wasn't really a... Uh, um, I felt that there wasn't really a determination on you know who should uh, you know be experimented on with medication changes and who should be left alone because that kept happening uh, all the time and uh, uh, I used to see people being released into the very circumstances that drove them back into the hospital in a few months so it, w- it was like a, an endless vicious circle where everybody uh, suffered you know, the the person who was in the hospital certainly was suffering their family was suffering uh, and it, it just seemed like an endless uh, um, you know cycle of, uh, of uh, discomfort and pain so you're very right. Uh, change needs to be made and awareness needs to be raised. And uh, um, the treatment needs to be a lot more uh, consistent and pointed towards uh, um, integration to society and uh, uh, as much as is possible recovery. And, uh, you know, our system is broken. It's better than having nothing, uh, but it, it really needs to improve as you keep pointing out. And uh, I applaud you for keeping on top of that and, you know, trying to generate awareness and interest and talking to the people who can make a difference. So, uh, but, but I know that you're one person <laughs> um, struggling with uh, this and, uh, um, you know, right now we need a lot more people uh, focusing on it and struggling with it. So the change uh, comes about quicker. Yes. It's very frustrating that revolving door to the hospital um, and doctors, psychologists, nurses have to be more aware of how powerful and potent these medications are um, it, when you are taking the, it seems like the hospitals think that, well, because you're in the hospital, 
we can take you off quickly. And the preferred way that Dr. Bregan says, you know, he's been in the field forever, uh-huh. is that you need to taper a patient off. He's amazing, uh, you know, reading his book and his stories of how he's worked with patients to help them come off completely is it's a very slow process. You know, when you are, I don't understand the brain, but I do understand, you know, if you're fooling around with dopamine, serotonin, the the neurotransmitters, synapses, I wish I could understand it. My my daughter would because she studied it. But I, I understand that if you're changing the dopamine and serotonin, you have to take a person off very, very gradually. Even though the medication is out of the system, mm-hmm. the way that it has changed the brain has to be gradually to let it readapt itself, you know, normalize itself again. You know, I, it, these are, as I've said before, the withdrawal I saw from my son who was a heroin addict can't come close to the withdrawal I saw my daughter going through. It was horrible, horrible. She had been on Geodon, Abilify. Uh, she had been on Zyprexa. They took her off that, put her right on Geodon, the Abilify. And literally, she would just sit. We went and saw her every single night for about six nights straight till she could lift her head up and look at us. You know, that that just, that's where the drugs have brought her to, almost to a catatonic state. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, unfortunately, they took her off very rapidly. And then the doctors, this was, uh, I don't know, I won't name the hospital, but... She, they actually lowered her um, lithium mm-hmm. too at the same time. So here's the, you know, these are powerful medications. Yeah. Why don't the doctors know this? Why don't they know this? You know, it's very few and far between that I have heard. And, you know, I ask a lot of questions with a lot of people I come mm-hmm. across. And it's always, you know, well, if this medication is not working, let's take care of that and put you on this. And it, it's it's not working because, you know, it seems like you can easily say, well, the, the patient is um, medication resistant, which is what I thought my daughter was. I don't think my daughter should be on that. I'm not a doctor, but when I look at her history, I can say, you know, is she medication resistant? Does she need electric shocks, you know, therapy? No. I mean, I remember down, she was in a, in a PhD program at uh, University of Florida. She mm-hmm. was actually um, working with epileptic patients, and um, she just, oh, I lost my train of thought, but she, she was having a really hard time, and they... She actually 
was one of the people that put like the electro those electrodes or whatever, and she tested their brains and everything. I uh-huh. want them to do that to her because of what she was going through her brain. But it's it's mind boggling because the drugs that they put her on, she never did well. Oh, I know what I was going to say. Down in Florida, they actually wanted to. She was going everywhere. Help me, help me, help me. And um, they actually wanted to do electric ETC on her. And a counselor called me. She said, please don't let your daughter do that. I have I have a, another student who had it, and it ruined his memory. And let me tell you, the antipsychotics were ruining my daughter's memory. She was having a rough time, you know, right from day one. You know, she. I don't know how she got her bachelor's degree in biomedical engineering. I don't know how on well, these drugs. I, I'm proud of her that she did, and I'm sure you're very proud of her, too. That's quite an accomplishment to be uh, struggling with all that inner turmoil uh, and to uh, attain such goals. That's a lot more than many people do. Well, yeah, it is amazing. It is. I found it astonishing. However, the long-term, she's been on um, antipsychotics for nine years now. And the effect that they can have, which I mentioned earlier in another podcast, was you can have intoxication anosognosia, which the drug, the very drug you're hoping will stop and help somebody who has shrinkage of gray matter, the antipsychotics can shrink the cause shrinkage of gray matter at a faster rate. You know, the percent it's not a high rate, but there is some shrinkage of gray matter associated with um antipsychotics which is mind boggling to me. You know, there are different terms, you know, when you take a patient off. What happens is these doctors take patients off antipsychotics rapidly and they see the patient have a psychotic break. It's not a psychotic break. It's an induced psychotic break according to a lot of research that I have read because of the abrupt taking off of the medication. You know, why why is it Big Pharma really? Why aren't they pushing... When they do these drugs, or they have black box warnings, these black box warnings should say, do not go off these medications abruptly. You need to be tapered up. But this is the legislation that I want to work with is, you know, with, um, you know, Mike and Cheryl and whoever else you can conjure up down in Washington is we got to get to the, you know, the big pharma and the FDA and, we have to fight these things. We have to get this on because the drug my daughter's on with Huda, it says if you are pregnant in your third trimester and you have a baby, that baby's going to suffer withdrawal symptoms. Why doesn't it say in that black box for the, for the mom, too, Right. she goes off that drug? I don't understand. You know, it's just this big form of money-making machine handing out Skittles that, you know, a pill is going to cure everything. It doesn't. You know, right. we need more therapy. We need more therapists and we need more education on the use of these very powerful, potent medications. 
there, you know, and then we need the, on the opposite end, we need the treatment for those who have the first psychotic break or manic episode. You know, we need to work more with um, brain scans in the onset so they can see, is there already shrinkage of gray matter? This patient needs to be on medication immediately because this patient is going to go out. They're not going to take the medication. They're going to be back in. My son for five years was in and out, in and out, in and out until New Jersey instituted the IOC program, you know, the involuntary outpatient treatment program, which I yes. had contact with which Senator Cody. Yes. Yeah. Hard. <laughs> Big time fighting. But we got him on it, you know, but it doesn't follow from one hospital to the next hospital to the next hospital. So here my son's up at Greystone or, you know, um, any of the county hospitals, and then he's down in Cora. And Cora doesn't know that he was on the IOC up in Morris County or Union County. There's got to be a system that can somehow track these patients and make sure that it follows them because it helps them stay out of the hospital and lead a productive life. <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, what happens a lot of times is that uh, uh, some of the institutions that are there to help heal, uh, they're businesses. So uh, a lot of times, uh, I, I know looking at it from that uh, perspective, a lot of things that don't make sense uh, if you're a mental health professional or concerned about mental health, uh, make sense as business practices. So that's another aspect of this that needs to be uh, uh, explored and, and challenged. Right. Well, I, I believe very strongly, I mean, Kelly Brogan does a lot with uh, yoga, mindfulness, mm-hmm. you know, a good diet. Diet is very important in, in her practice. She's out in New York, and I want to look more into her, you know, getting people you're getting that part of the treatment, you know, not just therapy, but really teaching, you know, when you take somebody like my son who's been in and out, or my daughter, who's been in and out of the hospital for such a long, you know, nine years, 11 years, is they don't know how to live life. You know, the life skills that they need, and, you know, it's very difficult, very difficult. But I'm here, I'm going to be, Working hard on getting some, getting a co- coalition together, if that's what I should call uh-huh. it, with some assembly women. Um, I think there's a Joanne Downey, and I think she's like down in Monmouth County, and then Lisa Swain. I caught her ear. Let me tell you, <laughs> and uh, she was very willing, so I have to send her an email of the legislation and my thoughts on it and what we need to do, you know, to get people to help. I do need help. I need a lot of help. <laughs> you I, know, I, people I who... Have... Go ahead. No, that's okay. You go. Okay, thank you. Um, I have some ideas, but we're reaching the end of our uh, uh, journey tonight. We have a few more minutes. Um, I will be contacting you uh, with these ideas uh, sometime within the, this uh, coming week. But... Um, I would like to do more uh, in helping you with your uh, mission 
rather than just having you on the show every now and then. So uh, I had some ideas while you were talking today in how uh, we can more consistently, you know, focus on what you're doing and get that information out there because it is very important. So um, I have some ideas, so we'll have a conversation. I'm sure you have some ideas too. And uh, I want to thank you. You always provide us with excellent uh, resources uh, for our audience. And uh, today's resource, which is a suicide um, assistant, uh, a hotline, uh, that'll come in handy for people who need it, the suicideprevention.lifeline.org. Uh, so thank you for that resource. And thank you for being there and fighting for the people who can't uh, fight for themselves. Uh, uh, you're an awesome uh, person, and you certainly uh, deserve to be on the Age of Heroes uh, as often as possible. <laughs> I don't consider myself a hero. I'm just lucky that I have the ability and clarity to do the research and the, the ex- lived experience. You know, to well, most, want to reach out heroes, and help others. Most heroes don't look at themselves as heroes, so you you got yourself covered there too. Um, how can people <laughs> get in contact with you in the interim? Uh, until these ideas come into manifestation. Um, how can folks uh, contact you or learn more about all the wonderful things you're doing? You know, I'm hoping someday to set up a uh, some sort of website or blog. I haven't done that awesome. yet. For now, I mean, I, I can give my email address. If you'd like, sure. I'll, I'll post it here, too. Uh, what is your email sure, address? I have... Uh, Julia J U L I A H B D H B D. Yep, Honey Bear Designs. That was an old okay. company I had at hotmail.com. Okay, that's an easy one. <laughs> yep. So I'll just put to contact uh, Julia, and so people will have that as well. I put a link to your uh, Facebook page. Um, I put a uh, link to uh, um, the uh, suicide prevention line, lifeline uh, website and uh, any uh, other things you'd like to share. If you send them to me, I will post them and share them. I will. I will do that. I always have ideas, resources. You know, a lot of people don't know, you know, that, that if somebody, if they do have a loved one or friend or somebody who's suffering is, in New Jersey, there are um, there's the Wellness and Recovery Centers, which is mm-hmm. a thirty day like a thirty day mental health emergency program. Right. And I I had gone to one, which they're excellent, and I had to help somebody else down in Monmouth County. They have one at the Monmouth Medical Center. So if you call any of them, they they have a list of you know one that would be local to help somebody who might be resistant to going to the hospital if they are in, you know, distress, that that is a very good option because they have psychiatrists and psychologists, social workers or whatever available, and you can go, um, like, they will have a counselor see you several times a week, which is excellent. That is awesome. They have a set type. Yeah, it is. Send me the information, and I'll gladly share it. 
thank you for being on the show, Julia. I look forward to our next uh, conversation, and you'll be hearing with me within the week. And uh, let's uh, let's dream uh, how we can use the resources we already have at our disposal to do uh, something to spread the word even further. Yes, your experience would help me a lot, I believe. A lot. So we'll have an adventure. <laughs> yep, it sounds good to me. I'm the adventurer. <laughs> Um, we're going to play a song, Bone Post Orchestra's Cry Freedom, and then we'll be back with uh, Astrid and the Sussex Report. Uh, thanks a lot to Julia Gillies for uh, all the awesome work that she's doing and all the resources she's been sharing.
trust that rain behind your eyes To carve a space for us within the universal mind And if it's up to us to bring some balance back Let it not be said, it's courage that we lack And welcome back to the Elysium Project. Tonight we're on the path of public service, and our next segment is the Sussex Report, hosted by Astrid. And today we're going to be starting at uh, uh, the heart of Sussex, and we'll be moving in more concentric circles outwards and covering all the awesomely positive things that are happening. Uh, greetings and welcome, Astrid. How are you? Greetings. Hercules doing fine. This is very nice. Vernal equinox, first day of spring, yes. and balanced by the full moon, the last of the supermoons for the year 2019. That that is incredibly awesome and very auspicious. And uh, uh, the uh, zodiac sign of Aries launches, which is uh, the tale of the golden fleece, which is has a very special place in my heart, as you know, and a lot of what I do. Uh, is based upon it. So uh, this too, for me, is a, a time of transitions, a time of new beginnings, uh, and of bolder and better things. So uh, it, it's great that we have our show together today. Most definitely. And we will start off with our local news, as we usually do. Okay. And awesome. I found it there's quite a bit, too, a lot of good positive energy here this uh, vernal equinox day. where uh, Byram is updating its open space plan, which is always good. They met with their residents and representatives from the the township on Tuesday, March the 12th, and they're partnering with Greener by Design. It's a corporation that's working with them, a a consulting group, and Mm -hmm. they're looking into, their goal is to develop a long-term stewardship plan. So they're looking to make it a better place, but what I like is that they're definitely using the residents and they're looking for input, which is not always the case. No, it isn't. And that's awesome. Yeah. And these were some of the suggestions that were brought up. I, I thought they were interesting. Um, increasing the handicapped accessibility. Because, as you know, by law, they look at the, um, the area or the building or facility, per se, and they allot very few um, allocated spots for handicapped. And when you start looking... Mm-hmm at the amount of people with disabilities, uh, 
as well as the large numbers of the baby boomers and the group before the baby boomers that have um, issues with mobility. It's amazing that there aren't more handicapped accessibility areas. So that was one of them. Uh, another one was parking lot maintenance and safety. Because mm-hmm. as we know, the area gets really wrecked with salt and, and just not being yes. upkept. Uh, conditions of restrooms and picnic facilities. Yes, it can be very upsetting when you go go somewhere and you, and you have a large group or even just a couple of people and you have to worry about those accommodations. <laughs> Sure. And and then the other thing was, uh, which I also thought was interesting, was to include all ages in activities in relation to recreation. Those are all very important things. And uh, I just came from a, uh, um, a county committee meeting, and mm-hmm. a lot of those issues did come up. And I, I actually brought up an accessibility issue that had been brought to my attention. Uh, um, and so uh, everything you're saying is uh, resonating, and I'm glad that uh, Sussex County uh, is also being very mindful of these things and taking uh, uh, action. It sounds like they're taking you know, very appropriate and uh, um, open-minded action, which is always good. Right. And you know another thing, too, Hercules, very often these things are available but they're not communicated very well. They're not put out in publication, or they'll put in maybe one obscure paper, or you have to go online. And I have to say, Sussex County has uh, several uh, news periodicals that have things. They have flyers that are put up in in, in, um, public places as well as businesses. So, you know, kudos to them for promoting these type of things. Correct, yes. And uh, yeah. I'm, I'm really honored to have uh, the Sussex Report uh, on our um, Elysium Project uh, podcast because uh, you focus always on all the positive things that are happening. And um, our more traditional news channels uh, keep everybody um, afraid and outraged <laughs> for the most part. Right, and thinking there are no, way, no outlets and nowhere to turn. Uh, and then we get back saying that we always get back to Project Self-Sufficiency. They yeah. are running a program. They're seeking donations for new and gently used formal wear. Could be prom dresses, bridesmaid dresses, gowns for the mother of the bride, whatever. The accessories uh-huh. uh, they are in good condition to display in the agency's annual sister-to-sister prom shop. So you can see they're starting now for May. And they, ha- you ha- they must be dry cleaned and on a hanger. And mm-hmm. in the shop, it's, which is housed in the Project Self-Sufficiency's uh, Newton campus, they're going to be displayed in a boutique, but they also are going to be taking them on the road, which I thought that was, was really great because the agency has a, a mobile service vehicle. And they will set up these little boutiques at different locations, at, um, in Jefferson, in Newton, in High Point area, the Hapakon School, all the high schools, Lenny Lenape Valley Regional, North Warren. So that's amazing that they're going to bring them to the students as well. 
Yes, that is uh, very amazing and very much uh, needed. And uh, I'm glad that that's uh, going on uh, not only in Sussex County, but uh, beyond. I put a link up to Project Social Sufficiency. Um, right. And I will send you more info because they're donating. Uh, the donations can be brought there all the way up to mid-April, Monday to Thursday, 9 until 8 p.m., and then Fridays 9 to 4 and it's located at 127 Mill Street. I will send you that link and all that information. Thank you. You're welcome. And then another thing is that the families are being invited to explore Sussex County YMCA camps on March 24th. That's a big thing because very often people really are not sure what is the best camp for their child. You know, what are the, mm-hmm. what are the amenities? What, are, what kind of courses are being offered, not just with sports, but like are they na- on the national or international level, the sports? What kind of cooking, and do they take in- into um, consideration the child's eating needs? What other things are they doing in terms like some, some camps have sewing? You can use to learn to use a machine. and So all those details are going to be avail- available at the um, Sussex County YMCA site. And um, at these actual um, different sites, the open house is going to be in Hardyston. So I will send you that link as well. Thank you. Um, I, I link to the YMCA, uh, Sussex County YMCA, um, so people can, uh, um, you know, if they'd like to explore while they're listening to us, they can do so. Oh, sure. That's wonderful. And another interesting thing is at Sussex Community College, they have a school of agriculture. They're presenting free spring workshops, and that's instructed by the College of Supervisor of Agricultural Business and Horticultural Programs. And she basically lives in Andover, but she was born and raised in central Ohio farming community. So then she came here to New Jersey, and she found herself hooked up with Sussex Community College. And it's a three-part series, so it covers planning your garden, purchasing garden needs, soil considerations, container need uh, planting, um, pest management and maintenance. So that's really interesting. And she says it can be a vegetable, herb, flower, perennial, annual, small fruits garden, or all of these above. And there will be a combination of lectures and some outdoor and greenhouse lab activities. So I will send you that link as well. The um, inform- oh, they are free and they are open to everyone. And uh, that information will be basically you can to register. You contact Collins via the email at e Collins c o l l i n s at sussex dot edu, or you can call nine seven three three zero zero. Two three four zero, and I know they're having an, a a uh, ribbon cutting ceremony at the college for their greenhouse on the corner green, and that's on April twenty second, nine a.m. in the morning. Everyone is invited to attend. So there's a lot to do in the Sussex uh, County. It seems to be a very hopping uh, 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 place, and uh, <laughs> yes, most definitely. And and I know, like the the, the community college itself also has their open house and and so you could always look into that they have their spring open house at sussex county college 
And in terms of jobs and meets and greets, I know that the um, the uh, Sussex County miners are having two job fairs this spring. They're looking for candidates to join the organization in a variety of game day positions and internships for the 2019 season. So they basically are going to be at the Skyland Stadium, and the first fair had just taken place yeah the second one will happen on friday april 12th and saturday april 13th and they have different positions available there's internships in digital media marketing media relations broadcasting there's concession staff books box office cashiers game day staff security ems maintenance mascot team members Bat boys and girls, clubhouse attendants, and so on, so on. And that website, all that information could be found at www.sussexcountyminers.com slash employment. Okay, typing with my one finger. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever Minor. works. <laughs> Whatever yeah. works. Sussexcountyminers.com. Uh, uh, slash, slash empo- employment. Okay. There we now, go. Now, um, Astrid, as you know, um, I'm starting a career center right. in uh, the Cresco Public Library, and it won't only be restricted uh, to people in uh, Cresco. It will be open to everybody. And, uh, oh, no, wonderful. Of, uh, taking the show on the road once once we have the show together. But uh, on April 4th, uh, Dan Loa um, will be there from the American Workforce Association giving a talk on the gig economy. Mm. Um, Bill Wayne is going to be there. He won't be the featured speaker, but he's uh, uh, on the list. And I'd like to add you to the list, uh, too, and invite you if you're free uh, to come. And, uh, I would check my calendar. There's a lot going on right around that time period, only because uh, they have we have the Women's Day retreat up at Sussex County Community College, and there's like one other event, and then there's a fundraiser as well for um, Olivia, who has the um, the uh, we talked about that that cancer situation in the bones and, and yes. the second operation. So there's a lot going on. If I can do it, I will. If not, I would like to send information. That's what I was going to ask you. Uh, I know that your schedule's uh, very busy and uh, you're very involved in your community. So if you can't uh, personally uh, make it, if you could send information, and uh, you and I can, uh, um, you know, talk about that offline. Um, but I'd like to have a Sussex County uh, section on our board. So oh, wonderful! Communities that you're finding will be there as well because people do drive around, and uh, it sounds like there's a lot of wonderful things. Uh, um, happening up there, and the uh, Tenafly Chamber of Commerce has asked me to give a presentation at our career center uh, on the third. So, wow! Uh, yeah, so the, the the word is getting out there, and uh, it's everybody's intention to do something, you know, really uh, different. And I'm inspired by all the things that are happening all around us. Uh, so, you know, hopefully the world is changing again. Um, and uh, there will be more opportunities for people. Definitely, and this is a great way to end the, the local news. Oh, okay. It ties in so well with what you're saying is that um, the U.S. Representative Josh Gottheimer mm-hmm. and 
Senator Steve Orojo, which is from this area, uh, are teaming up to launch a Sussex County Tourism Task Force. And they wow. want to increase this. They're promoting the region as a travel and vacation destination. It will include other people, the Sussex County Chamber of Commerce president, um, a Republican assemblyman as well, the local mayors, tourism-related business leaders. And as they they talked about this. I thought this was interesting. Gottheimer said the state spends approximately $9 million promoting tourism every year, but only 140000 of that goes to the promotion of Sussex County. Hmm. Interesting So point. they're going to contact the governor. They're looking for more dollars to be spent on the promotion of tourism in Sussex County as well as neighboring Warren County. There are so many things going on. It's not just aesthetically beautiful with open space and attractions, but there are things happening here, businesses that do outstanding work in the community. And um, the other thing they were talking about was that um, Montague was saying the municipality's proximity to the Delaware Water Gap recreation area is a big thing. There's Montague with the mile with the, with the mines. Uh, you know, you start talking about Ogdensburg and other areas with the mines that have mm-hmm. been a, um, an important part of this county. And then the completion of the Lackawanna Cutoff Restoration Project in Andover in the next two years. So you're starting to look at better access to the region. So that's a big thing as well. Oh, most certainly so. And uh, uh, as you're talking, I'm dreaming, and I'm seeing that uh, board <laughs> and the library with Sussex County becoming a lot more than uh, I had originally envisioned. So I'm looking forward to uh, learning more and dreaming uh, bigger for that with you. Oh, great, great. And uh, let's go back to how we, we started this show. Okay. And that was to talk about the occurrences today, the vernal equinox, known as the first day of spring. Mm-hmm. Known as to the um, all our ancient and uh, ancient folks way back as as Ostara from all of our mm-hmm. immigrants and you know the the homes way back you know in Germany and and uh, our, our our the roots in um, uh, the Nordic culture the Germanic culture the Celtic culture when things relied on the sun and agriculture and the importance of working with nature. So we have the vernal equinox today, which is a balance, a perfect balance. And that occurred at 5.58 p.m. when the sun passed over the Earth's equator, that equilibrium right there. And now, from that point on, the northern hemisphere is tilted towards the sun, which leads to longer days and more sun. That's the start of our spring. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. And it's the last supermoon, as we said, which is an amazing thing. You know, basically it's known as a perigean full moon, and that occurs when a full moon reaches the closest point to Earth in its elliptical orbit, which is why it usually looks brighter and larger. So, so how does that will enter into the whole scheme of things? Because light is a balance, and that balance is very precarious, as we know. And we're Mm -hmm. starting to see a movement towards the light, away from that negativity and more positive, proactive 
energy going on, whether it be, like we just said, in Sussex County with all these things going on, with you promoting careers, and we look at the people that are representing us, and we're starting to see a lot more progressive thinking with this last election. Uh, you're starting to see different bills, and I thought this was interesting. I, I was unaware. That's why it's so important to stay in contact and, and access news from a whole wide range of areas, but that uh-huh. Camilla Harris joined the Casio Cortez against a bill to charge Florida's ex-convicts to vote. So here, they were going to allow people who have committed crimes but then served their sentence back to voting, but there's going to be a little glitch here by by this bill that's being brought up by the Republican Party in in Florida that would require them to have their voting rights restored, they would have to pay the state back for the cost of their trials. And they likened it to the bill's provisions to the Jim Crow era poll taxes to keep meant to keep African Americans from voting. But if you're having a state the vote uh, the voters approved it to restore rights to ex-felons. And now they're looking at a way to hinder people from what they wanted and what they passed. It's outrageous. So I'm really proud that people are bringing these things out to the forefront to make us aware of the things that are going on. Yes, it's it's overwhelming at time, and uh, it sparks a lot of uh, outrage uh, from both uh, sides and for different reasons. Uh, right. But the fact that the, these things that were long uh, hidden and suspected are are now you know pretty much out in the open, uh, ultimately and eventually. Um, uh, although it's overwhelming now, they will be a good thing because uh, uh, these type of things cannot be allowed to continue. So we're seeing no, and, and so so often, Hercules, things are hidden; they're kept quiet, and bills yes. are passed, and and people are outraged. They say, "Well, how did this happen?" Because there was not the voice out there to say this is not right, or if you right. don't believe in this, speak up. So whatever people would like to believe about. Ocasio-Cortez, I do have to give her credit for bringing up certain aspects. Uh, For instance, Bernie Sanders has been promoting for years that we should make the uh, right to uh, vote in an election, that should be seen as a national holiday. You should not have to scurry and worry that you're not going to make it to the poll. Right. We shouldn't have to worry about transportation. And Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez had brought this up. Mitch McConnell states that this is a power grab. I don't think that a, a right to vote is a power grab. It's most developed countries already in this world either vote on weekends or they have made it a national holiday. Right. Matter of fact, McConnell's home state of Kentucky, the presidential election day is already a paid state worker holiday and civilians are entitled up to four unpaid hours by law to have access to vote so that's a big thing i mean to to deny people access to voting or as in hr1 um having purging of voting rolls 
it's a horror. They're also trying to introduce a law to prohibit purging of voter rolls, as was done in Georgia by that Secretary of State, Kemp, who later went on to win, due to the purging, won the governorship there. Wow. Yeah. Happening not only in uh, Sussex County but in the world as well. All over, you know, eyes are opening, and, and that's a good thing to see that people are starting to stand up and speak out. It's a really big thing, and and there have been some pushbacks. For instance, you know, a, a big thing I know a, 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 that an important priority to you is the environment, and yes. there are so many issues now. Uh, with the environment, uh, which we know, you know, in terms of the EPA, but Trump with the budget is seeking to, sla- uh, to slash the renewable energy funds. And that's a big thing. So in order to finance, um, you know, his war machine there, he's looking to shut down basically a lot of the Office of Energy Efficiency and Renewable Energy. So that's funding for clean clean energy research into technology from electric vehicles to energy projects powered by ocean waves. They've um, financed research to help with the cost of wind power and uh, cutting the cost of LED lighting. There's so many things that that agency does. So he's looking to cut the agency by two-thirds. Wow. That's a lot. That's a lot. So so we're seeing, you know, a pushback with that. I doubt very much that's going to happen. There'll be some kind of of a balance there. And then the other thing is, like with the EPA, a big thing is the um, uh, their new proposal of putting costs ahead of gains in human health. And obviously, we're talking about the coal industry, you know, and the Clean Air Task Force is a great environmental group, and they're really working to push back where, you know, where the EPA is looking to um, say that. But basically what they're saying is that in this new uh, proposed rule, the cost to industry in installing pollution controls are too cost effective. It's not good. Mm-hmm. And But meanwhile, they're not looking at the risks by changing these things. Uh, you know, more mercury allowable, um, more... Pollution allowable, not only is a climate change issue, but they're looking at the cost-benefit analysis of these regulations. They're measuring it only in dollars and cents while not looking at the impact upon the population. How do we uh, reverse that? Because that, that's been going on for a very long time. And although we've. Uh, very we've... long, right, right. And, you know, and the same with the super funds when they take the money and they put it somewhere else, you know. Um, I think you have to get involved with certain, um, certain groups. There are certain groups online that we've talked about that really work very hard. Very, very hard, like the Clean Air Task Force, uh, Indivisible is a great group, Daily Costas, several groups that are very actively involved with petitions. And then, of course, they'll, they'll talk about specific laws that are, that are in motion or proposals. And the job of each listener here really is to express their concerns to their representative and to their senator. 
get to know them and tell them your likes and dislikes. Tell them why it's important to you. And tell them you don't want to see them sit on the fence concerning these things. Because now with the House, the House is putting bills and proposals out there. So that's the first step. At least they're being put on the floor now, which they weren't before. Now we have to make sure that our representatives and senators speak on our behalf, not the lobbyists or um, their particular chairperson twisting their arm. Uh, Mark Sinna always comes back to the same point uh, that you do and uh, Bill eventually does uh, as well, uh, which is that... uh, um, our representatives need to be aware of uh, what we like, what we don't like, what our concerns are, what right. our hopes are. Mm-hmm. Because, and, uh, and you know what, Hercules, it does work because now there was a massive uproar over mm-hmm. those jets and that Boeing model. And the FAA was not going to pull them. It was not going to pull the 737 MAX aircraft after two doomed flights, the same pattern. The pushing by scientists and by uh, other groups made them change their mind. Also because 42 countries responded saying, their safety regulators were saying, we're banning those flights. When that happens, then you start to you start to see a change from the FAA, where before they said they had no systemic performance issues. Now they're saying, well, we're we're going to halt the flights. So that's a good that's thing. That's powerful. That's powerful. Yeah, that is a very it, good uh, thing. And it, uh, it is um, a powerful thing. Now another. One of the- one of the problems that I encounter, because uh, I, I am learning uh, from you, from Bill, from uh, the other uh, hosts and guests, I'm learning a lot that, that I didn't know before, um, and uh, it's very difficult to narrow your focus, because once you start uh, signing petitions and you start donating uh, money, all of a sudden you wind up on everybody's list and you're bombarded. Oh, most assuredly, but you can unsubscribe. I mean, you right. can always delete, but you can, uns- on the very bottom of an email, whatever, you can unsubscribe. And I think you're right. You have to pick a few things, but I think you also have to be aware of the bills that are coming up and, and right. how, you know, which ones you feel that strongly about and how it's going to affect not just you, but the whole entire global community, you know, like climate change. You know, this thing with, with the EPA not only affects us, it affects Future Everybody. generations, and it affects the whole world. So that's a big thing. And there are people, I mean, uh, um, you start looking at how people have been standing up to um, uh, the, the tax incentives. The whole thing, especially in, in Sussex County, was that get rateables. Get rateables, they'll keep your taxes down. And then we started to see this movement in, I don't know, the past, what, 10 years? I don't know. But the past few years have been outrageous with these huge tax incentives for these major corporations like Amazon and like Exxon. And I have to say, again, there, Ocasio-Cortez spoke out and said, wait a minute. 
We're going to give them this massive millions and millions of dollars not to do this. Who's going to pick up the slack in the tax system? These rateables that were going to do so much for us, you know, and now it's not going to be. Well, how is this allowable? And we have to be able to give time, too. Like uh, here in my local participation in uh, Bergen County, uh, especially in uh, Tenafly, some things that were being talked about five years ago, six years ago, are happening mm-hmm. now. So it took that many years of uh, uh, looking at it this way, that way, voting it, voting for it, voting against it, and right. Um, right. also it, it kind of went through the rock tumbler before it came out like a polished thing that uh, most people were willing to support. Uh, and even now, there's opposition, you know, to like our dog park and our our Northern Greenway project, which are awesome things. And right. uh, back when they first came to Tenafly, again, there were ideas floating around, and now they're actualities. So, uh, but they still there need you to go. Uh, and, so, you know, it's a lie because we're talking about that money, the tax incentives. It was, matter of fact, $3 billion that was going to wow. be used to woo Amazon for the new corporate offices. Notice I said corporate offices. Right. Well, you know, little old Baton Rouge, Louisiana, ExxonMobil, who measures its earnings by the billions, was going to get a $2.9 million property tax break. But the East Baton Rouge Parish School Board rejected their offer. And they said, no way, we don't want you here. We don't want that kind of incentive because we pay the taxes. The town's small. We're going to uh, dole out billions of dollars in property tax breaks without giving any say to the local school boards, city councils, and other government entities that depend on those taxes. Well, it was really interesting because um, I guess they've had their say all along, their say and their way, the oil and gas industry in that area. So they stood up to them. And uh, meanwhile, I mean, it wasn't without any kind of of, uh, fury because the local chamber of commerce took out a huge newspaper ad warning of, uh, are you ready for this? A rise of radicalism by the locals, that they are (laughs) anti-business. But we're forgetting that with these tax and new tax laws and so-called reform measures, corporations have made out better than before, large ones, mind you. Mm -hmm. And these little people are being given very little, and they've lost all their deductions. How can you give major tax breaks like that, and and how can you then expect the local areas and small businesses to pick up the slack and pay more? Right. Yeah, I, I'm so a member a, of our Chamber of Commerce and also right. several other bodies, so I get to see the issues through different perspectives, but I, I'm exactly. a big fan of our Chamber of Commerce. Right, and and you know you have to look at it from every vantage point, the pluses and the minuses, the impact on every everyone, not just you know one group. So as right. I say, you know there there is this balance, this movement, you know that pendulum swing is starting to move the other way, where people are saying, 
this is not going to work. And for these reasons, it's not an emotional reason, they're presented logically. And that's the good thing. You know, using logic to say, well, you know, we're not happy with this because of A, B, C, D, all these reasons. Very, very true. And sometimes it takes a while to see things clearly. Um, I could think from my own personal experience, uh, when we first moved to Tenafly, there was an open space and uh, a wilderness issue. And my initial impulse is to defend that, you know, defend the wilderness and defend. Uh, and uh, I was very verbal and visible and, uh, you know, my support of uh, all efforts to keep that land uh, wild and free. Um, and as I learned more about it, however, and as I progressed, uh, I began to see the other side. And although I'll still pick uh, wilderness over development, um, you know, to preserve the green, and a lot of my attention has been going that way, uh, it turns out that had I known um, what I learned subsequently, I would have taken a very different uh, stance on the entire issue. It always comes down to balance, Hercules. It always yeah. does. Seeing every aspect of it and then looking at the plus and minus column and to find out where most of the pluses lie. You count them up and you look and see where it is the, the best possible choice for as many people as possible while preserving the land. You know, sometimes it might mean another site because you know as well as I do, sometimes sites are proposed for other reasons other than their location. And we won't go there. <laughs> and uh, our hour or our 40 minutes actually is nearing its end. I want to thank you very much, Astrid, for another informative and uh, mind-expanding episode. And I want to let you know that how much I appreciate what you bring to the show because the Elysium Project, which is very different than you know the other different shows <laughs> that we're doing, um, actually has uh, three times the audience as the other shows consistently. So uh, that's, that's great to hear. It's great to hear that that uh, you know our listeners want to hear all the different aspects right. of what's going on, and I think. People want to hear information and then make up their own minds, not being Correct. told how to do this or that. Being given the, the information and then ways, options, and how to put forth their priorities. And that's a value that uh, um, many of the people associated with the show uh, share. I know uh, Mark Zinna um, who's running for mayor, shares those values, and he's talked about them. Uh, Peter Rustin, who's our current mayor, he believes in that, and uh, um, he's uh, demonstrated that many times. That, you know, he believes in people having a voice and, uh, and contributing uh, to their community uh, using their gifts. And, uh, you know, others we've had on the show certainly believe that as well. So that is something that uh, is becoming one of our shared core values, uh, right, and, uh, right. When we and I'm just going to end up with this, 
because there's so many things going on, as you know, as I'm sending you all these links all the time. But there is something to fight net neutrality again, and I know you have the information and you will put it up. And it's called Save the Internet. So there's another resolution that's out there. So there are many ways of, you know, people won't give up. And I'm so happy to see that. They will not give up. If it doesn't go through one way, they will find someone else to propose or co-sponsor a bill. Change it around a little bit. Maybe, you know, put the focus on something else. But this one's called Save the Internet Bill. And I'm, I know you'll put that information out on your page as well. Oh, I most certainly will. I'm going to look it up uh, as we go to our musical break, and I'm going to post it. Astrid, thank you so very much. Uh, I enjoy our time together, and uh, um, I'm looking forward to our next conversation. And, and uh, I as well. You have a great last super full moon night. Thank you, and you as well. Uh, we're going to play Cauldron Born in honor of uh, Astrid in this transitional time in the year. Uh, and uh, the cauldron, as uh, folks know, is uh, associated with the grail, which is very much uh, uh, in my uh, spirituality these days. So thanks for all that information as well, Astrid. Take care and have a wonderful night. You too. Within the stark and hall, 
and welcome to the Elysium Project. Today we walk the path of public service, and our next segment is called Temenos. Now, Temenos, for those who don't know, means sacred space in Greek. And currently, our Temenos is focused primarily, but not exclusively, on New Jersey and the greater New York metropolitan area where we currently reside, and the states surrounding it, both visible and invisible. One of the folks that I've met in my journeys uh, is a very significant uh, person, um, and uh, he's been the source of many uh, productive and awesome uh, connections. And, of course, I speak of the legendary Nick Curdo. Greetings and welcome, Nick. Oh, boy, that was more than kind, uh, Hercules. Thank you so much for that amazing introduction. I hope I can well, I live up to it. I meant every word of it. <laughs> You're no, awesome. I know that. I know that, and thank you so much. Now, Nick, you you are um, involved in so many projects that it boggles the mind, <laughs> and <laughs> your projects are moving forward, and you've done a lot of amazing uh, things, and uh, – um, in terms of uh, our Temenos, uh, Temenos is kind of like the culmination of everything. Uh, the Age of Heroes, all the initiatives, and now the, uh, the show, it's kind of calling people to awake and take uh, action. And uh, mm-hmm. the Elysium Report is uh, the Elysium Project and the Elysium Report are pulling people together who are doing things in the world. Uh, and sharing what they're doing and connecting with other people and doing even more impressive things. And now Temenos is kind of pulling it all together because it's like, uh, um, you know, we're here to create a paradise on earth, whether we express it religiously or politically, it doesn't really matter. Uh, A lot of people on this planet are here to do that. And you're certainly doing that. um, And most visibly through disclosure network and the Urantia book. Uh, So, uh, for those who don't know, because this is a different uh, show, would you care to explain a little bit about uh, your major initiatives and uh, how they're involved in making the world a better place? Excellent. Thank you so much, Hercules. Well, Disclosure Network New York, I am very, very proud of that. We are now in our 18th year here in wow. New York City. We have two meetings per month throughout the year, so it's a very ambitious program. And the, uh, the main focus is on ET UFO research, a very deep research in that. And we have uh, amazing members of the group that do go into those realms and report back to the group what they're finding. And what they're finding is major, major, major things are going on, have been going on since at least the 40s that we know of when the bombs uh, were going off. And IDT uh, came here saying you can't do that because it not only will hurt your planet, uh, but it will also hurt the time-space continuum, which we suffer from. And therefore, we're asking you to stop. That's the quick version of that, but that, that really has happened a number of times by different ET groups. Amazing. And so... We go into that, and we also go into paranormal research, and that is a separate but yet very, very amazing area where our members, including myself, have had ET uh, UFO 
and paranormal experiences that can't easily be explained, but we know that mm-hmm. they've happened to us, and we share those at the meetings and talk about them and analyze what's going on. Um, recently, I was walking on 2nd Avenue on 89th Street, and I was sitting at a bench with a dear, dear friend, and a workman goes past me. I didn't really see him immediately, but he did. I saw someone going past the bench, and he turned mm-hmm. around, and he said, Oh, hi, Nick, it's you. And I looked and immediately didn't know who he was. I said, yes, may I ask who you are? And he said, I am Patrick, and I've been to some of your meetings. And me and my wife are continually having paranormal experiences together uh, at night, and uh, it's still going on. So what a conversation that was. And I've invited him and his wife to come soon to one of the meetings and tell the group about exactly what was going on. And that, that's actually a typical day. You'd be surprised when you bring up the subject how many people will say, well, now that you're talking about this, there is something that is on my mind that's been going on, and I really had no one else to tell. And that, and, and that is so true uh, because it's been happening uh, with me. You know, people know what type of things I'm into, but uh, even in my meetings that have nothing to do with uh, UFOs or the paranormal or um, you know, different types of uh, um, shenanigans going on um, that are hidden from us, um, people have been sharing stories in different meetings that are more conventional type of meetings about having experiences with aliens or with, uh, um, you know, creatures from other dimensions. So it's much more prevalent uh, than people think. And a lot of people are afraid to speak. So if they know that you're focusing on this, uh, they are more open in speaking to you and more likely to speak to you. That's exactly right, Hercules. And they've said openly at the meetings, this is a safe space where I can really tell you what's going on. And I can't tell my wife, my husband, my lover, my children. I can't tell my employers. There's no one else I can talk about this that I feel comfortable with. But when I come to these meetings, I do feel comfortable. And after the two-hour meeting, whether it's a roundtable discussion, which sometimes happens, or a speaker, a guest speaker who comes in and talks about a particular subject, um, after those meetings at 4 o'clock, we go down to a wonderful diner called the Good Stuff Diner on West 14th Street, and we have a coffee hour so that people can then really – again, connect and share experiences. And that has been so rewarding over the years. And I always look forward uh, to not only the meetings, but the hour or so after when we can do that. And many people have become very close friends now. And uh, it's so wonderful to see that the community that's growing. Yes. Uh, the yes. You know, it, it really works. And these people have a lot to share, and now they have people to talk to, including the group, about what's on their minds and what's going on. Uh, the other group that I, I run, as you know, from a, uh, uh, 1 to 2 o'clock in the same room uh, at uh, the, the, the Gay Center on West, 14th, on West 13th Street is mm-hmm. called uh, the Urantia Book Study Group. And that is a group that reads from the Urantia Book. Uh, and uh, then discusses what we're reading. Uh, the Rancho book is a 2,000-page, absolutely cutting-edge book uh, that is 
giving giving amazing insights and information about the the basic questions everybody has are there angels what is god like what happens after we die uh do we see our friends and relatives after we pass on from this life what is next for us um what is sin what's what's a miracle oh, um what are what are the other planets like and the inhabitants one of the chapters talks about the government on another planet and it gives really detail which is extraordinary one of my favorite chapters and they go into extraordinary detail about the living of on that planet the 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 beings that are there and how they connect and one of the things i think i've mentioned this before that really stands out they said that the highest crime that a person can commit is the betrayal of public trust. They said that when people are elected to posts of trust uh, and they, they sell out, they, they do things that are uh, uh, under the radar that are not in the public interest but only in their own interest to, to, to get rich or what, what, anything like that, that when they're found out, and they are, that's the highest crime on that planet, and that's punishable by death. And I'm, I was, when I read that, I got chills, and I thought, can you imagine yes. if that was the rule here on this planet with our various governments? Yeah, I, I, um, I could imagine that. Uh, and uh, uh, part of one of the things I really liked was our first uh, great adventure together, which was the interfaith uh, Argonauts, because yeah. uh, we, although we were a small uh, a group that actually finished the adventure, um, everybody was open to spiritualities expressed that sounded different than what they believed, but finding uh, similarities where they can communicate. So that was a grand and wonderful uh, thing. And uh, uh, we still have these uh, uh, groups of people working together uh, formally or informally. So uh, we have people who approach heaven in a variety of ways, being totally open to the fact that someone else's path may require something different and then finding shared values and working together while still being totally spiritual and faithful to, to their spirituality. So that's quite an accomplishment. And uh, um, I want to thank you for uh, being one of the early pioneers on that particular journey. And it's led to many wonderful things. Absolute pleasure. And, you know, doesn't it give you such a feeling of accomplishment when you do something for one person or many people, when you volunteer, when you know that love is the final answer and that yeah. you share that love yeah. with uh, in, in any in any and all ways that you can, in any ways that you can help your fellow beings. Uh, and that, that includes the animal kingdom, too, by the way. You know, we have to be yeah. kind to everyone. And um, you and and in return, you get such amazing feedback and whatever you project out for help and love is given back to you a thousandfold. And I'm sure you've you've had that happen many times, many times. Yes. And it's such a good feeling to have that. And it's it's a little thing, too. It doesn't have to be a big deal. It could be just a simple, simple act of, of, of courtesy and love. And people respond to that so well, and it happens all the time. And the more that you can do that, 
the easier it gets and the more wonderful it gets. So that, that's the bottom line, and that goes for any spiritual calling or religious group that has their hearts in the right place. And uh, we're all brothers and sisters, not only on this planet, but in the galaxies. And, and, and there's, a, there's many wonderful uh, galaxies with people and beings in them that are really looking out for us. There's, there's many stories in ufology, and when I say stories, I mean recollections of actual events when beings have come to, in, in some cases, our government in the United States and have mm-hmm. said that they'll give us advanced technology in exchange for our promise to ban nuclear weapons. And, and the reason for that is they said that it not only can hurt and destroy our own planet, but the time-space continuum out in space is also affected, and it affects them. I mean, that's amazing. And, and whenever they've offered that, and there's been a few times that we know of that that's happened, our government has thought about it and then rejected that offer. Believe right. it or not, they just said, no, we're going to continue on with our nuclear uh, and atomic weaponry and, and research, and we're not willing to give that up. And ETs have left saddened that we made that decision. And that, that is something that will become more public as the years go on. So uh, it's, it's uh, the tip of the iceberg. It's been hid for many years but we know that it's true, and we've talked to people that were there when this all happened, and these these um, these conversations, uh, these these bargainings were were put on the table, and every single time they've been rejected by, in this case, our own government. And uh, the po- the positive aliens are still working with us, and uh, yes. through groups. Such as the the Urantia book and Junarius and the Mark Age and uh, the Sixth Revelation, uh, and it's amazing how much of the same information has been given out. Uh, so even though there are slight uh, differences, the consistency is remarkable, and yeah. uh, also how um, a lot of times it's the same uh, entities with slightly different guises, uh, again to yeah. suit uh, uh, approachability. Uh, but uh, the longer you look at that, the more you see that this message has been consistent, it's been broadcast over time, uh, and uh, uh, it makes you think, why would this message be broadcast? And, and to really think about the words being shared and, and to take to heart some of the advice being given, because even if there are no aliens being affected on other planets by um, the dangerous things that we're doing, we have people on this planet who are affected by these things. So, you know, we should be oh, more mindful of them. Uh, President Eisenhower's, uh, let me see if I get this right, niece, I believe niece, uh, has come on board the ufology uh, group and has spoken to many conferences about this very subject. She's she's really quite a wonderful speaker, and she has an awful lot to offer on this whole subject. Uh, it would be wonderful at some point to have her on as for an interview. And I'm going to try to do that because I, I think she might just say yes, and it would be an extraordinary hour if we can pull that off. So we're going to Almost give that a try. Uh, you and, can imagine uh, that. And Eisenhower himself was one of the presidents that was contacted 
and in fact had a face-to-face meeting at an Air Force base with ETs when, when this bargain was offered. Uh, and uh, uh, there's one person I talked to who was at the base and was very aware of what was going on when this, when this um, ship landed. If you can imagine such a thing, this, this uh, by many reports, did take place. Yes, it's it's amazing. Uh, here in uh, Bergen County, where I currently reside and where Temenos is uh, um, starting to uh, sprout, uh, I remember when I was a teenager, um, there was a, a huge UFO sighting that lasted for hours. And uh, it was the buzz. Everyone was talking about it because it was so different than uh, um, anything that they had expected. And it lasted for so long. Uh, so... Uh, Lately, as I've been letting it know that we're going to have our Disclosure Network meetings and other meetings uh, public again, um, people have been coming to me and saying you should focus on that. I said I have every intention of focusing on that because that's a major sighting that happened here. Uh, I recently became aware, again, that people are being afflicted by grays or encountering grays or interacting with grays. Uh, so they're back in the picture of things to investigate. And, of course, there's the the Space Brothers or the more advanced uh, um, aliens, sometimes called Nordic, sometimes called Venusian, sometimes called Pleiadians, um, that uh, are very much a part of uh, New Jersey folklore. Uh, Balfour is perhaps the most uh, famous of those, the contactee type of aliens, but he's not the only one. There are, there are several uh, fairly well-known uh, um, types of that type of alien. So I'm going to be focusing primarily on those things uh, here locally. That, that's incredible, and if we can get some of the people who were actually there and witnessed that yes. to talk about what they saw, that would be extraordinary. And you inspire this whole thing, so thank you. <laughs> Boy, that is, that is my honor, absolutely. And we, as we become more aware of what the realities are, this, mm-hmm. this is something not only is not going to go away, but I think very soon, it's going to be much more public, much more public than it has been. Uh, it's been held back for, for some reasons. One of them is that uh, ETs have power sources and ways of going huge distances with, with new kinds of power. And mm-hmm. if this were, uh, and, and in some cases we know that it has been back-engineered, uh, it's being kept under wraps. Why would that be? Because the oil and the gas and those huge trillion-dollar businesses would be out of business if this were to come about. And it's just simply a question of greed. They don't want these new power sources to be revealed, and they'll do anything and have done everything to stop it. But I don't think that it's going to last much longer. I think that the world needs clean energy and these are clean energy sources from everything we know, and it doesn't involve drilling in our earth and pulling out the, the oil and the gas and the, and the coal, and it will, it will help to save our planet. We can't keep digging and pulling out all this, all this material and not having consequences, and many countries have already suffered major consequences by all the drilling and all, all the um, the wounds that we've been inflicting on this planet, we can't continue to do that. Right. 
You're absolutely correct. We can't continue to do that. And uh, uh, we've spoken of this before, but the the fact that globally um, respected scientists are telling us that we only have a dozen or so years to make radical changes or it'll be too late. And, uh, um, you know, there, there'll be horrific uh, consequences to those who are uh, here at that time. So That's it, right. it We've really behooves us. Well, it's already starting. It's not, it's not even in the, in the distant future. We are starting to really feel that now and the warming of right. the planet and, and all the, the pollution that we're doing to our water supply. Even though this is a water planet, it's not endless clean water by a long shot. And, no, and it isn't. people need water to, to live, as we all know. So water is a very, very precious commodity. And, and to pollute it, with these different uh, diggings and drillings and all that so that people can't drink the water anymore, that is alarming. Yes, it is very alarming. And one of your projects, Project Lemonade, uh, was addressing the fact that the oceans are full of plastic, even at the most remote uh, uh, areas of the ocean, very far from land, that uh, uh, plastic is, uh, and it is degrading, and it's being eaten by fish, and it's being eaten by people who eat the fish, so, um, and it's also causing a lot of damage uh, to fish, because they get caught in, like, the soda um, uh, plastic binder that binds the cans together, so uh, it's a very big thing, and uh, no matter where you go on the planet, you'll find this plastic, I'm working on that project. Project Lemonade is, uh, is, is one of my pet projects, and we're setting up a website. We have already uh, got the, uh, uh, the website address, and uh, when it, it's, it's loaded, and it won't be too long before it's ready to go and up and running on the Internet, uh, we've been uh-huh. in contact some companies to ask them more about 3D printing because the idea of um, – Project Lemonade is to take the discarded plastics by the by the tons out of oh. out of the oceans and out of the landfill. Some of it's just been dumped and uh, and used as a building material through 3D printing to to build to print inexpensive housing uh, for the right. for the homeless and the people who can't afford uh, a home. And this is something that is doable. Uh, right now there are uh, right now there are uh, houses that have been printed out of concrete with a mix of plastic, and those they're being lived in. Uh, in fact, Amsterdam, I believe, has a uh, a printed 3D uh, building that's several stories high. Uh, I I love to see that, and so a combination of concrete. And uh, plastics can be used. Also, plastics can be used for the furnishings inside the home, and simple chairs and tables and so forth. So th- this has got a long-range application. And I've been talking to a few friends of mine uh, who work at the UN about this project also. And um, I'll keep you very close on that as as we progress. But sure. that's something sure. I think's got a huge potential, not only in this country but in all the countries of the world with a huge homeless situation. Right. And we can solve that problem. There, there, there is a, a landmass that's capable of supporting uh, vast numbers of people. Uh, and even though uh, we're seemingly overpopulated, there is still plenty of, uh, of space to house people. 
And this is, as you pointed out, a water planet. It is rich and abundant. Uh, and uh, uh, it, it can definitely support life if we don't mess with the, the mechanisms of uh, life. And uh, inexpensive housing is something that we have now with, as you said, the 3D printing. You can make a house for a few hundred dollars, as you have shared, uh, and uh, people can afford to live in those houses and they can live productive lives instead of uh, being homeless or uh, in prison. So uh, it's definitely something worth doing. Absolutely. And one of these machines, the, the 3D or printing machines big enough to print houses, they can print a whole house in one day. In one day. Not in not in a week, not in a month. In a day. Right. And some, of the, some of the advanced machines can I've heard can print up to ten small homes in a day. That is incredible. Think of that. These yes. are simple, simple homes that are uh, waterproof. And uh, you can heat them or cool them. And, they're, again, they're very simple, but it's, they're dwellings that people can be safe and secure and warm and, and uh, not have to worry about flooding and water and all that. So it, it's, it's got a lot of potential, and that is certainly one of the things we're going to be focusing on this year. Um, also, you mentioned volunteering and, and sharing. And one yes. of the joys, I think, of my life, and I'm sure of yours, uh, from everything I know about you, Hercules, is is volunteering and sharing what you have with others. That is a, one of the joys, one of the true joys of uh, of life. What does that mean? Are you getting you know that what on that your Yes, I am. Yeah, I don't know what that I don't is. Know. I have no idea. It was such a it's clear. Now it's gone. Yeah. Now it's going. Well, I hope whatever it is, is it goes away. It goes away. <laughs> yes, it just simply goes away to its cave and stays there. <laughs> um, I agree. So, uh, okay, um, it's, it, it's, it's its own reward. It, it, giving your own service and any – it could be a small thing, too. It, it could be something that you just simply want to volunteer. One of my dearest friends goes to a hospital on Saturdays and reads to the patients – who right. would rather read, uh, hear something from a book than watch TV or have nobody around. And it's a small gesture that he does, but he's so generous with his time on Saturdays. And that's always struck me as such a wonderful thing to do. Um, and other people, too, just little things like they help each other, uh, they guide each other. That should be part of, even more so, of our our culture, our culture of helping people and not being so isolated. Yes, I agree. And so that's another part of that. Uh, I have some. I have some news. Uh, it's actually something I think you'd be interested in. Um, a friend of mine, a dear, dear, wonderful woman who lives here in Manhattan, Nita is her name, and she's a, a longtime Disclosure Network New York uh, member. And she called me up, and Nita loves to go to Central Park, and she has seeds, and she feeds the woodpeckers and the birds, and she has nuts that she feeds the squirrels, and she mm-hmm. says it's like a full joy to do that. And she called me up, and she said the New York City Parks Department is trying to put forth something that is really quite quite hard to take. She said 
the Parks Department wants to make a mandate that nobody can feed the birds or the squirrels anymore. <laughs> and if they do that, they will get a citation or be arrested. Wow. If you can believe and, and what can you believe that that even exists? But it is. It's 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 really in the works right now. And there's a group of people that met in front of the zoo on 64th Street and Fifth Avenue, right right where the zoo building is, with signs that said, "Our squirrels deserve uh, a home and, and 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 good food too." And we and we care for them and the birds of the, the migrating birds and there's many many migrating birds that come to uh, Central Park. They also deserve care and and to be fed if they need it, because the park by a long shot doesn't have enough of of those natural things to feed the birds and the squirrels and some of them starve. So so what they did is they had this they had this uh, press conference and there were cameras there. And microphones, and she said it's going to be at one o'clock. Would you like to come? And I said, count me in. So I went down there, and there were maybe 25, 30 people doing this uh, demonstration, holding up different signs, talking about the fact that people and 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 animals and and birds and all that. Uh, the joy is to share uh, life and to, if they need help, to help them. And so. I I got a uh, as a present a beautiful a scarf. It was a winter scarf, and it had a, a huge uh, a picture of a squirrel. A squirrel. The tail is as long as the scarf. <laughs> it's a beautiful oh, warm oh, scarf, and it was I my favorite. To, so I so I, I wore it. Because they're, they're cutting off the show now. Um, I oh. didn't have the heart to interrupt you because I wanted to hear the story, but uh, I think we have zero seconds left. Uh, I posted all your contact information, and I okay. want to thank you again for a wonderful show and for being a wonderful friend. Oh, well, it, 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 you're, you're the best. You're the best producer and the best friend anyone could ever hope to have, and you, you know I feel that. Yes, I do. I will talk to you very soon. I have some things to share with you. Uh, new doors have opened, and I'd like to uh, tell you about them, but we'll do that later in the week, okay? Excellent. Okay. Love to everyone. Love to everyone as well. And thank you all for joining us. Uh, this is Hercules and Nick wishing you joyous journeys and happy adventures. Thanks for listening to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network. Join us seven nights a week for exciting programming covering a variety of expressions of faith. And remember, all manifestations of the divine are equally valid.